Well, hello, welcome back. Pleasure to be speaking to you today as we continue our We Are Emmanuel series. My name is Matt Carvel, and uh, we're into now the, the fourth of our key values as a church. And the title of, of today's message is Stay Inspired. And we're going to spend a few weeks on this value of Stay Inspired. What I want to talk to you about is following rules. Following rules and how much we love it. <laughs> and when I say that, I'm not just talking about we love it as in, you know, religious people, people in this room maybe, or, you know, as a church. I'm, I'm talking about as a society in general. We do enjoy and love and find safety in following rules. And what got me thinking about this just recently is that currently the number one best-selling book is a book called 12 Rules for Life. This book here, Jordan Peterson, this is the Sunday Times bestseller right now. Millennial Generation, this is one of the books that they are reading. The New York Times said of the author, Jordan Peterson, he is the most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now. And I don't know about you, but that seems kind of strange. It seems kind of odd that someone with a book called 12 Rules for Life would right now have the most popular book that people are looking to for meaning in their life, purpose in their life, and that sort of thing. Because we are told that we as a society right now, uh, this generation, millennial generation, are those who embrace freedom and champion freedom, and we have the opportunity to have freedom in a way that no other previous generation has had in the same way. The way that we can communicate, the information that's at our fingertips, our ability to travel, the opportunities that are available to us as a society right now, we have tremendous opportunity for freedom, and we want to see ourselves as free people. But yet what we observe when you really look at what people are doing is that they are gravitating towards things like this that where they're looking to other people and looking for a sense of structure and looking for some steps to follow. Isn't it funny that the generation, the society that we're in right now champions freedom so much and yet we're a society of followers. If I said to you, who do you follow you know what I'm talking about. Social media. We are endlessly following different people. And you might say, well, wait a minute. That's not the same kind of you know, following as like a religious thing. Because you know, as a society, we, we've rejected the traditional ideas of um, religious, uh, you know, restrictive uh, ways of living. We don't want any authoritative government telling us what to do. We're free of all that. We're free of all that, but yet we look to other people and we follow them. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm free. I take ideas from different people like that. It's not that I'm you know, subscribing wholly to one person. We pick it from here and there. But we do make choices based on who we follow and who we look to. We're influenced by other people and we think we're completely free, but actually we're following very similar patterns to the other people around us. The fastest growing lifestyle movement in the UK right now is veganism. And, and rightly or wrongly, I'm not saying anything about whether that's a good thing or not. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting that something that is, you could see as a, a moral choice, a restrictive thing, 
that is gaining traction in our society. And we say we're free, and we are free to some extent, but we're using our freedom to make big choices like that, and as a society, we're all doing it together. Actually, there's something that is, we're, we, we drift towards these rules. We say, what's everyone else doing? What, what's, what's important to people? We have expectations and influences around us, and we can't help but be joined into them. And you might, you might say, oh, I'm not like that. Um, I, I don't follow the rules at all. If society is preaching some rules, and this is the social causes to champion, and this is the way to present yourself, and this is the new trend that's right now, and I think, oh, I don't follow the rules at all. Have you ever tried to live in a way of, I'm never going to follow the rules? That is the most restrictive way of living it out of everything. Because you have to measure every decision by, I'm not following someone's rule here, am I? And really, you're just actually following the way that all the other people in the past before you have said, I'm not going to follow the rules. We drift towards rules and we can't help doing that. And one of the reasons that we do this is because rules are helpful. They do give us structure. And I said already that as a generation... And in our society right now, we have access to so much information and opportunity. And the reality is, especially this millennial generation, we have no idea what to do about it. We are faced with unlimited choice, unlimited possibility, and so many people are completely stuck about what to do. What should I do with my life? And then... That's why we drift to these sorts of things where someone who's influential or someone who seems to have things together or someone who's got some credentials behind them or even just someone who's popular gives us some steps to take, gives us a bit of structure, and we say, oh, that's going to be helpful. And it is helpful. It is helpful because it, it focuses us and helps us to take a step forward. And it's, it's funny because when you, you read Jordan Peterson's book and he says things like, um, part of it is tidy your room. That tidy your room is, is something that he sa- he's saying. And millennial generation is laughing it up and it's, it's funny because they've had all their childhood of people telling them to tidy their room maybe and they've not listened. And then they get to being uh, free to make the choices they want and think, what should I do? And he says, tidy your room. Why is he doing that? Because he's saying, bring some order to your life. Make one step forward and that helps to focus you and you can make other steps forward from that point. You can build from that. In that way, Rules are like a ladder, like rungs on a ladder. So if I can do one thing, I can organize my life or organize my environment around myself, then maybe by putting my hand on that one, I can pull myself forward. And then I can set another goal and follow another rule to get a bit more successful and be a bit more assertive or or a bit more determined or a bit more conscientious. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of wisdom in these sorts of things. So they're helpful in one way, but also they can be not very helpful at all. Because rules can be helpful to us when we can reach those rungs on the ladder. And when we feel like we're making progress and making steps forward. When we are accepted by people, when we're admired by people, when we get a promotion at work, when we pass our exams. Yeah, that makes us feel good. We're going somewhere with our life. I'm making something of my life. But the problem comes when we miss a rung, when we reach for something and we can't do it. Rules are helpful when we can reach them, but when there's a standard that we fail to hit, 
rules can turn into to turn from being a friend to an enemy, and they can very easily crush us when we don't meet up to other people's expectation, when we don't meet the goals that we set for ourselves, when the rules of society say live this kind of way, and we feel I can't I can't do that or I can't do it as well as they're doing it. It's crushing. It's crushing. When, you, when you're not lean in 15 or 30 or, or 100, however long it takes to get, and you can't get there. You can't do what society says you should be doing. And we're very good as a society of celebrating the people who are succeeding. But for every YouTube uh, sensation, for every successful business owner, for every musician or sports star or whatever, there's a thousand more people that we don't see and we don't know the names of and no one's following on Instagram because they failed to make the mark. They weren't as successful as the people who said, do this and you'll be successful are. What do we do with that? Where do we go with that? We hit the limits of our lives, and we realize I'm, I can't be as good as I want to be. I can't live up to other people's expectations, and that is crushing. So rules can be helpful, but they can also crush us, and, and actually, there is a better way to live. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, today, this better way to live, because we don't just need more rules. We actually need power, power to live a changed life, because rules don't lift a finger to help you. They just set the bar. We need to have some sort of power that actually changes us to help us move forward and help us live a life of purpose and meaning. And you might say, stay inspired. And and me talking about, actually, I want to suggest something that's not about rule keeping. That's quite surprising to hear from someone in a church. Because if anyone, you know, the church, surely you look at the Bible there, the people that talk about rules and to follow Jesus, you've got to live a certain way and live up to a certain standard and, and follow Jesus of all people. That's a hard act to follow. But you're saying that's not what we're going for? Well, I'm gonna, we're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 8 that, that talks about this and talks about how we are free from law keeping. And not just free from a law-keeping type of life, a rule-following life, but free to be led by and empowered by the Spirit who is God in us. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And from verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. What I want to say to you from these verses today is that the Christian life is not about rule keeping. In fact, it's the end of rule keeping. The end of rule keeping because this is what Jesus has done. You might think, well, wait a minute. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that there's, there's quite high standards in there. Jordan Peterson talks about 12 rules for life. If you know anything about the Bible, you know the Ten Commandments. And if you read them, they've, they've got quite a high standard. They seem quite direct. But actually, if we continue on reading the Bible and we see Jesus, who is the Son of God, comes to earth to explain and show who God is and what he's really like, when we listen to Jesus' words, we realize the standard is even higher than we thought. You see, in society, we, we've kind of rejected this kind of traditional idea of rules, but we still have rules. We just kind of make them what we want them to be. And so we say, we say like, well, you know, you can do what you want as long as you don't hurt anyone. And even that, we don't live up to because we hurt people all the time. We're selfish and we make decisions that hurt people. So even the rules that we create for ourselves, which are a lower standard than God, we don't keep those rules either. But God's rules are a high standard. I'm not saying to you today that God has somehow lowered his standard. And I'm saying to you, you know, oh, you don't have to worry about rule keeping anymore. It's not because God's you know, not bothered about his rules that he has in his Bible. Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, well, you've heard it said, you know, don't kill someone. But Jesus says, actually, don't even be angry with someone. It's not about just the physical action. It's about your attitude. And that is a much higher bar. And we think in society in general, well, it's not a good idea. The social kind of values is like it's bad to steal from people. God's standard is much higher than that. God's standard, when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, don't even think about having anything that anyone else has. Don't even be envious. So when we read the Bible, it's not that God has somehow lowered his standards. It's something that's much more profound than that has happened. That Jesus has come into the world to fulfill the law. Fulfill God's standard. You see, I've talked about we as even a society, whether you're religious or have faith or not, you gravitate towards rules. Well, that's because you are made by someone who has made you to follow him. We can't help but follow people because we're made to follow. But the standard with which we should follow God is much higher than we can get to. And whatever rules we try and live by, the standard is there right in front of us. And we are, what rules do is they show us our weakness. They show us our limitation. And I've said that already. It only takes a certain amount of time. When you read page one of Jordan Peterson's book, you might be like, yes, I can do this. Tidy my room. Great. But sooner or later, you'll get to a stage where it's like, I, I can't do it. I, I, I know my limitation. I know I fall short. That's what sin literally means. It's, it's when you fall short of a standard. And we all fall short of God's standard. And we all even fall short of our standard. And we can't live the life that we want to live. But Jesus has come to the world to live a perfect life. 
and live up to that standard that God requires. But here's the amazing thing. These verses say that Jesus came to fulfill the law. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. But also that Jesus died on the cross and he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, living a life of trying to make the standard, you're never going to meet the standard. You sin, you fall short. That's an offense to God because he made you to follow him. And when we don't follow him, that's an offense to him. And, he, and the Bible says the wages of sin, what we get for doing that is death. But Jesus came to live a perfect life and yet suffered a sinner's death. Why? So that people like us who have sinned, who have fallen short time and time again, can by faith receive as a gift his perfect record. God has not lowered the standards. God has sent his son to fulfill that standard on our behalf. And in this way, we have come into or can come into through faith in Jesus Christ, the end of striving, the end of striving. And so you don't have to, whoever you are, you don't have to live a life right now of just obligation, trying to do your best and think, is this good enough? You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore because Jesus has come into the world. Let me tell a story to illustrate this. This is a true story of a soldier, a Japanese soldier called Hiro Onoda in the Second World War. We've got a picture of him, I think. And this is an incredible story. He, um, he was deployed as a, a soldier in the Second World War towards the end of the war. And he was based in the Philippines and he was given a law. He was given clear instruction from his commanding officer. And they said, don't give up. Don't surrender. Certainly don't take your life, but keep on fighting, keep on fighting, keep on fighting. Now, he was stationed with some other troops in a remote uh, jungle environment in the Philippines. And what happened was, not long after he was posted to that post, the end of the war came fairly quickly because the Americans dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. But this guy didn't know. And he was in this remote place and he wouldn't accept that the war had ended. And even though Japan surrendered, the war had ended, these guys were in a remote place and no one told them. And actually when people did tell them, they sent, uh, they sort of dropped leaflets and stuff to tell them, you don't have to keep going, the war's finished. They, they received them and they didn't believe them. They thought, this is propaganda. This is the enemy trying to trick us. We're not going gi- to give up here and we're going to keep, keep the line, hold the line and keep fighting and keep ready. This is a true story. This guy and a few others, they stayed in that jungle for 29 years. You can look this up later. 1974, he was still there. He had been given a law and he was relentless, keeping it day after day after day. I can't give up, can't give surrender. And he didn't realize the reason for doing it had long since passed. He didn't have to live this way anymore. What set him free? Finally, his commanding officer, 
the person who had given him the law in the first place came and said, you can put your weapon down now. The war was over a long time ago. And he, he had freedom from it. When the lawgiver comes, that is when we can have freedom. And that's what's happened. Jesus has come into the world. Jesus is God. He's come into the world to say, you don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to strive anymore. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. I have fulfilled the law for you and anyone who believes in me can have life and be freed from this law. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. There's no other way to be free other than Christ Jesus. You can live your life day after day after day trying to live up to your standards or society's standards or a parent's expectations of what you should do and what you should be in life and it's never ending and it's relentless and it's unproductive. It doesn't get you anywhere. You're just constantly aware of your limitations again and again and again. Through Jesus Christ, we can be free. You can wake up tomorrow and think, I don't have to strive to meet anyone else's standards. I don't have to strive to meet God's standard because Jesus has fulfilled the the requirement of a life on my behalf. You see, society gives us rules and standards and expectations and say, if you do this and if you do this, you can be successful, you can have a life of meaning, you can be valued, you can be admired. But the people that seem to be most successful at doing that are not free. They're not free from the nagging doubt of, am I enough? Am I really valuable? Selena Gomez is the most followed person on Instagram. You already knew that. I didn't have to tell you. But she is. A year or so ago, um, she cancelled a huge kind of global tour and she admitted she was struggling with depression and anxiety. The most admired person, person people are looking to, liking, respecting, someone who's talented, has huge crowds of people flocking to them to, to witness their, their, their success. And she's still battling with the same thing that everyone else is battling with. Who am I? Am I enough? When's this going to end? It doesn't end. Outside of Christ. Christ has come to fulfill the standard. That question, who am I, can be answered. No, Jesus has given me value. He's given me dignity. He's given my life purpose and meaning because he's fulfilled a lot on my behalf. That is an incredible truth that Jesus can bring us into the good of and wants to do that. And I'm speaking to you now, even whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, because even as Christians, you can be motivated by guilt And have I done enough? You don't need to be because Jesus has done the work for you. You don't need to live like that. You don't need to live like that. We need to understand this. Firstly, that Jesus has released us from the law. But secondly, Jesus has come to do something else as well. That's also more profound. I talked about at the beginning about the end to striving and the law being fulfilled But also, we need power to live. And that is also what Jesus wants to bring us into the good of. John the Baptist, the key figure at the beginning of the the gospel accounts, he, when he was confronted with Jesus, Jesus appears on the scene, and John the Baptist says two things about Jesus. The first thing he says is, Behold the Lamb of God 
who dies, dies for the sins of the world. And that's what we talked about. Jesus has fulfilled the law but died a sinner's death so that we, those who fall short, can be forgiven and freed from that requirement. But that's not the only thing Jesus has come to do. And John is very clear on this. And all four Gospels know this second thing that, that John says of Jesus. He said, this Jesus has come to baptize you in the Spirit and with fire. He's talking about the fact that, yes, he's come to that you might be forgiven, but also that you might receive the power of God, the life of God in you to baptize you in the Spirit. And that's the contrast that we see in this chapter 8 of Romans. The contrast between living in the law and living in the new way, the Spirit. And it says that we have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I want to challenge you today and well, with a question, have you truly received this? Because it's very sad to say that in many Christian contexts even, this work that Jesus has come to do is neglected or it's confusing to people and people don't understand it and don't live in the good of it. The Holy Spirit works in us to bring us to repentance and faith. No one can come to God without God first working in the heart and revealing Jesus to them. That is one thing that the Spirit comes to do. But as we see, Jesus has also come to baptize us in the Spirit and with fire. That speaks of power to me. That speaks of life. When we talked about receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's something that wells up in us that we can't help but express the fact that we are God's. We belong to him. It's the life of the spirit in us. And it's possible as a Christian to Know that Jesus has died for us and forgiven us, but not know the full extent of what this is talking about because we haven't been baptized in the Spirit and with fire. Know the power of God. And I'm talking about stay inspired. This is our value because what it means is that stay inspired, having the Spirit in us. Radical. Changes everything. And let me just explain that this is the pattern of Christianity that we see in the New Testament. I want to take a few minutes to unpack that because as I say, it can be a neglected teaching and for some of you who've been a Christian for years, I was a Christian for years, I never knew this. But when the Holy Spirit came upon me, it changed my life radically. And we see it again and again in the New Testament. We look at Acts. How did the first believers in Jesus, how was their lives changed by the Holy Spirit radically? You take the disciples. They knew Jesus, they followed Jesus. They were with Jesus, they believed him to be the Messiah, but then when Jesus died and was risen again, he went back to heaven and they were like, what do we do now? But Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And you see that at Pentecost. They went from just a band of followers that didn't really know what to do, power came upon them and they started sharing the gospel, they started speaking other languages, they prayed for the sick and saw it healed, they had prayer meetings and the building shook because what? They just suddenly pep themselves up. No, the power of God came upon them and it changed everything. And you say, well, the disciples, you know, they were a special case. Yeah, they were a special case. They have a unique role in history. But again and again, you read through Acts, you see what happens. This pattern happens again and again. Someone comes to Jesus in terms of believing in Jesus, baptized with water, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Can those two things happen at the same time? Be filled with the Spirit or at the point of believing and then get baptized in water later? Yes, that can happen. But those three features, repentance and faith, water baptism, baptism in the Spirit, is what you see again and again in the Scriptures. We've seen it with the disciples. Acts chapter 8. Philip goes to preach to the Samaritans. And the Bible says the Samaritans heard the good news. They believed it. They were baptized in water. What happens then? Did they move on? No. Peter and John went to that new set of believers, put their hands on them, prayed for them to receive the Spirit. That they would also know power. What does that tell us? Is the power of God for super-Christians, just for the apostles, just for people who are special? It's for everyone. It's for everyone. Someone believes, let's pray to receive the Spirit as well. Because it's for them. Again, the person who wrote these words in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, this was his experience as well. His conversion is a very famous conversion. He's on the road to Damascus. At this stage, he's, he's known by Saul. He's a persecutor of the church. He, he uh, is, is overseeing the sort of breakup and destruction and antagonism against Christians. And Jesus appears to him in a vision right in front of him, and it knocks him off his horse. He's blinded. He sees Jesus. He realizes Jesus is the Son of God, that these Christians had it right all along. Is that his conversion completed? Well, he sees Jesus, but you read Acts chapter 9. The Bible says God spoke to a man called Ananias, and he says, go and see this Saul, and I want you to pray for him that he receives his sight and he's filled with the Spirit as well. It's the pattern of new birth of Christian life. You repent and believe, you are baptized in water, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. This is what is available. This is what God wants for us. And it's something that Jesus does to us. The Holy Spirit works in us to bring us to Jesus. But Jesus baptizes in the Spirit so that we're drenched in him. So we're filled with him. As you fill your clothes when you get in them, can the Holy Spirit be filling your life? That's what the the New Testament is talking about here. And I want to talk about three aspects of what happens and what the Holy Spirit brings us into when we receive this teaching, when we receive the power of the Spirit in our lives. Because I've already said that a rule-based way of living, where they're motivated by guilt or motivated by fear, it just leaves us to question constantly, are we doing enough? Am I enough? When the Spirit comes upon you, when God's life comes inside you, it causes you to cry out, He's my Father. I know Him as a Father. I know Him as a Father. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit brings us into a deep knowledge of that. So we don't have to go through a Christian life even just wondering, am I, am I good enough? Am I a good Christian or a bad Christian? If you're a Christian, the Spirit comes upon you and says, you're in. He's your Father. You know Him. You know Him. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. It's a deep work of assurance. And we can can miss out on this, and many people do, because 
they dismiss this kind of power of God in us and think you're going a bit over the top there because maybe because you've seen different environments or church meetings where there's a lot of emotionalism, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of whipped up enthusiasm and people say, oh, that's the spirit. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not the spirit. The spirit is not em- emotion. And if you, you might say, oh, I'm not an extroverted person, so I can you know, do these sort of spirit, spiritual things. It's not about that. It's the spirit bearing witness with our spirit. Do you know the fire of God in your heart, in the deepest sense of who you are? Yes, it bubbles up into your emotions. Yes, it challenges your intellect, but it's something that's deeper than that. It's not an emo- just an emotional experience. It's knowing God in the deepest part of who we are. This is what we can have through the Spirit. So don't disqualify yourself. Don't say that's not for me because Jesus brings it to us. It's something that Jesus wants to do in our lives and go on doing it. Many of you in this room know what I'm talking about already. You know the power of God in your life. You know you can point to experiences in your life where you've known the reality of Jesus right there with you. The Bible also says keep on being filled and stay inspired. It's all about cultivating a dependence on the Spirit, looking to the Spirit, wanting to stay in step with the Spirit as the, the Bible tells us to do so that we keep seeking the Spirit and not drift back into other ways of being. Not drifting back into self-sufficiency. Not drifting back into following the rules and making God happy. That's, that's not the Christian life. But when we know the power of God in us, it changes. It changes the way we look at life. It changes the way you go into work on Monday morning because you know whatever goes wrong, whatever anyone says about me, I know I'm a child of God. And, I know, and no one can argue with me on that because God's revealed it to me. It changes work. It changes the family life. Does that mean that when we receive this, that we have no more challenges or ups and downs in life? No, not at all. But we face those ups and downs in life knowing that God is near to us. Knowing that he is with us, near to us, is speaking to us. The Spirit tells us who we are, but he also wants to lead us into a deep knowledge of who he is as well. The Spirit leads us into who he is. J.R. Packer says this, The essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is at this or any time in the Christian era to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. What is this Holy Spirit here to do? To mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say to help us to think a little bit or mull over ideas about Jesus. No, no, he's saying the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is real and you can know experientially the presence of Jesus with you. You can know that because that's what the Holy Spirit brings you into. And by receiving the Spirit, that's what you get. And this is in one sense so difficult to explain and convey to you. And I even pray that as I'm speaking now, the Holy Spirit is speaking confirming these things to you now and you're starting to feel in your deeper, deepest part of who you are, the Holy Spirit's work. But let me just give an example of this to maybe, to maybe help to understand what I'm talking about here from my, from my own life. Even a couple of weeks ago, I was just praying with, with some other people here in the church and in that place of prayer, the Spirit 
gave me a picture. I just, in my mind, suddenly I was just thinking about Jesus looking at me. Jesus looking intently at me. And I felt vulnerable in that place. I felt very aware of my weakness, very aware of my sin, and quite exposed. I'm not saying Jesus appeared to me in a vision. This is just something that the Spirit has suddenly brought to my mind. Jesus is in front of me, looking at me. And in that picture, Jesus walked towards me, knelt down, and started washing my feet. And in that moment, I was undone. I was crying. It challenged my mind. It brought the present reality of who Jesus is to me in a way that I could feel and I know Jesus was close and he was there. Does this happen every time I pray? No, it doesn't. But it's a feature of the Christian life that we can all experience. Did the Holy Spirit speak to me anything that's not already in the Bible? No. Jesus loves us, he looks to us, he comes to us, he comes to serve us and wash our feet. That's what the Bible says. All those things are true according to the Bible. But let me say this, our Christianity should be entirely found in this book. But by no means should the truth just be left on the page. Do you know the truth in your heart? Do you experience it? Do you meet with God in the place of prayer? Or as you read the, the Bible, do you meet with him? Do you experience the joy of it? Sometimes God does seem far away. I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm not saying every time I pray I have a sudden revelation of Jesus. But I'm saying this is a feature of the Christian life. When you cultivate a dependence on the Spirit, when you ask daily, you say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Teach me the things of God. Bring me into that reality again. I need it. The problem is that we drift away from that and we drift away into self-sufficiency. And we have enough of God as we want and think, I'm just going to do my kind of thing. Because when we invite the Holy Spirit to really come and take ownership in our life and fill us, you don't get to call the shots anymore. You don't get to put God in a little box. Because he speaks to you and he challenges you. And he brings power into you and calls you to do things that you maybe don't want to do sometimes. He, when he takes over, he takes over. And we have to follow him. We're led by the Spirit. And maybe that's one of the reasons why many Christians fail to live in this way. is Because they don't want to be led by the Spirit. They want God just to be one part of the life. You're falling well short of what God wants for you. And don't say to me, well, Matt, you're an elder. So you God, of course God speaks to you. That is just ridiculous. You think God loves me anymore? Do you think I fulfilled the law anymore? It's not about fulfilling the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. It's about what he's done. And we only receive the love of God because Jesus has got rid of every other reason for us not to experience the love of God. Jesus has done the work so that we can receive his spirit by faith, by faith in him. And we've 
We share stories about what that looks like. I've shared one story. We've had baptisms recently where someone said, you know, uh, I met, I was on university campus and I met someone who was from this church and God had spoken to that person about something about my life and they had that conversation and it opened up. They, by the prophetic word of God, opened up the reality of Jesus to someone who wasn't even a believer yet. But the reality of Jesus came through that person into someone else's life and they came, they understood the gospel, they received it by faith and they're baptized as well. And they come into the good of it as well. The Spirit pushes out of our comfort zone, it empowers us to live a life that where we don't know what's going to happen sometimes and it's an adventure. And this is a million miles away from just, I've got to read my Bible today. Obligation. That's not where God wants you to be, but to pick up the Bible and say, what's the Holy Spirit going to teach me today? How do we receive this? Let me, let me bring this to a close, and I want to pray for us that we might receive this in fullness, even today. Three things, reject the law and the view of God that comes with it. Reject the law and the view of God that comes with it. You see, if you're stuck in the rule-based mentality, whether you're in, 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 in life generally, you're not even a Christian yet, but you're stuck in the expectations of society, or even as a Christian, you're trying to follow God and you're saying, oh, have, I, have I done enough today? Am I a good Christian? That sort of thing. If you're stuck in that place, you will see God as the, the lawgiver only. And you'll be forever wondering, is God happy with me? And when I'm preparing this message this week, one thing that I feel the Spirit was saying to me is, you need to express the fact that God is happy. He is happy. He is full of love. That is who God is. And Luke chapter 11 verse 13 says, the Father, how much he loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And if you relate to God just as the lawgiver, you're never going to come into the good of this. You need to see what God, that God is a father to you, that the, 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 law, the law has been kept by Jesus on your behalf. So you can relate to God the Father as Jesus does. You come through him to the Father. And that's the way we relate to him. And that's how we receive the Spirit. And that's the Spirit brings us into a deeper understanding of that, that God's my Father. I'm assured of my place. I'm a child of God. No matter what happens in my life, I'm a child of God. We reject the law. We reject the view of God that comes with it. We believe that Jesus has satisfied the law. And finally, that we ask. We ask for Jesus to flood us, to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He loves to do it. Again, or for the first time, there's an invitation. There's an invitation to know more of the Spirit. And be led by him. And brings us into a deeper sense of the reality of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I so thank you that it's your good pleasure to send your son to die on a cross. That we might come into freedom. And live a life of knowing you. Not relating to you through a set of rules. But knowing you as children to a father. And Holy Spirit, I pray, even today, Lord, that you would speak to people, you would flood people with the love of God, that they too can cry out, Abba, Father, I know he is my Father, I know he loves me, I know he accepts me. Holy Spirit, bring us into that place in Jesus' name. Amen.